0: Good morning. All right, we're going to continue on in Exodus, the adventures of Moses here today. We're going to get into the the plagues or the signs and wonders. I kind of like calling it signs and wonders better. Um, Last week, Moses follows the instructions of Yahweh. He does the stuff that he's supposed to do at the beginning with talking to the elders and going and talking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh won't listen makes it harder, the Hebrews whine, Moses whines, just a lot of whining going on. But Moses stays there and he stays in that place and he's, he's got that resolve. He's gonna do what he asks. Um, and then we ended up with uh, Pharaoh still not listening and he brings forth his lector priest, Those sorcerers come in and the sorcerers are meeting up with, with Moses and Aaron. Remember we have, as we set up, What's going to continue on? You have Pharaoh, who is the representative of the gods in Egypt, and you have his lecter priests, which are his prophets, and uh, they're doing his works, and then we have Moses, who is, as Yahweh, giving instructions to Aaron, who is his prophet, and the showdown begins, and um, you have the Pokemon battle, where they throw the staffs down, and the... Snakes come out and they fight. And uh, Pharaoh's, it just ends with Pharaoh's heart getting heavier. And uh, it's still a no-go for Pharaoh. Talked a little bit about the play on words with the heavy heart. Um, Continuing the themes that we had last week, the idea, lessons to take from the story. Uh, We are to speak Yahweh's truth. Loyalty is expressed in obedience and action. Uh, spiritual warfare is a multi-layered event. It's something that occurs both within the spiritual realm, however we want to define that. We're not exactly sure what that looks like. Um, But it happens in the physical and in the spiritual. And uh, darkness uses a tried and true similar game plan. As we go through the Old Testament, a lot of this stuff repeats. It's part of those cycles where they're just teaching us this lesson of how things work. Um, All supernatural power derives from some supernatural spiritual being. Um, A human that is aligned with darkness can be an unwilling or willing agent. So just keep that in mind when we talk about people that are out there that are doing uh, harm to the kingdom, doing harm to the earth. Sometimes they're not aware of what they're doing. Sometimes they are. And uh, again, we're fighting against what's behind that. Uh, we're not fighting against that physical person. Keep that in mind in 2024. Um, Yahweh offers redemptive choices regardless of history and previous actions. We're going to see that as he continues to display his signs and wonders, there are chances given for people to stand up and say, okay, maybe we need to pay attention to this Yahweh figure. Um, It's evident from the start of Genesis all the way to where we're at right now. And uh, these stories are stories that build the worldview that Paul and the apostles write out of. Um, From a scholarly angle, there's four ways that scholars look at this. Um, Traditionally, if you were to take classes in Exodus and they look at the plagues, there's four ways. There's a naturalistic explanation where they say this stuff occurred, but it was all naturalistic. So let me explain how that would work. There is more than average flooding in the Nile. The Nile gets red from all of the stuff. You have a polluted red Nile. Okay, There's your bloody Nile. Because that happens, all the fish die, and you start having disease and pollution within the Nile. Because that happens, the frogs leave the Nile. They go hop up and they go into houses, and they just you have incredible amounts of frogs everywhere because they can't live in the Nile. Because the frogs are not in the Nile, and because the frogs are not along the banks, you start having mosquitoes, flies, everything normally with the frogs would eat the larva and take care of some of that stuff. So now you have an abundance of flies and mosquitoes. Now because you have abundance of flies and mosquitoes, you're going to have a lot of dead livestock because they're getting bit, yeah. So there's this idea that everything is naturalistic. For a while, that works for me. I can buy that. But when we get to like plague five and plague six, it starts getting to the point where like, ah, natural, naturalistic ex- explanations just aren't working. Um, there's the other look where they're, they're saying, this is just a way to chronicle lots of different things that have happened in the history of Egypt. So this is one way of making up for that history. So that's the mytho-history. So the idea that these are myths that have existed in Egypt and they've just compiled them together into one story. I don't really buy that either. Um, Number three, there is the idea that this is a polemic battle of the gods showing Yahweh's supremacy. What a polemic is, is it's a direct argument. The term polemic just means it's a direct argument against a system or person or thing. And so the, the Old Testament uses a lot of polemics. Right from the start in Genesis, um, all the way to where we are now, all the way through, um, they're going to use the polemics. I think there is a battle of the gods that is happening. I think this fits within the worldview of the Old Testament and the authors who wrote it. Um, we're looking back at this as Western, enlightened people who have already rejected the spiritual natural supernatural, spiritual world for the most part. There's also the idea that this is just another instance, we've been seeing these cycles since the beginning of Genesis, of decreation, creation, and that this is just the decreation story that leads to the creation of Yahweh's people. Um, I think there's some of that. I am a three and four mix person. I like the three and four mix. Um not against natural phenomenon happening, and maybe God caused natural phenomenon to get the effects that he wanted. I have no problem with that too. Um, But there is a direct plan by Yahweh here to shame Pharaoh and shame the gods. And it reminds me of what Paul says in Colossians 2.15 when he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over him. And this is the language that he's going to end up taking when the the 10 signs and wonders are done the Bible states that is, with, with this, Yahweh has had victory over all the gods of Egypt. and so, so I think the Bible reinforces that third and fourth view. We try not to take things from our culture today and read them into the Bible. It is our job to take things from the culture of the time to read understandings in the Bible. Um, Want to go through this concept for Egypt? This is important. This is part of their main religion. This is part of their theology, if you will. And, and the Israelites at this point have been in Egypt, I think, 400 years. So, so the Hebrews know kind of the Egyptian culture. So there's this concept of ma'at. And ma'at is a principle that was formed to meet the complex needs of the emergent Egyptian state um, that embraced diverse people. So as Egypt is growing, there's different people living in Egypt, There is this concept that spreads out of the religion called Maat. And basically, um, the Pharaoh is the Lord of Maat. Okay, the the Pharaoh is the one that brings balance, brings balance to everything if he's ruling good. If he's a good king, Maat will be there, there will be balance. Your ecosystem will be good, your economy will be good, all the different aspects of civilization will be good because the king is bringing that. And the king is bringing that because he's God. The gods are working with the king. Um, the significance of Ma developed to the point that it embraced all aspects of existence. So that's just an underlying theme in everybody's minds in Egypt at this time. And um, to the point where it, it's, it's, it's just a way to control this, the population. The idea is you are a faithful, good servant slash citizen of Egypt doing what you're supposed to be doing so that Mott stays. And um, that's just the idea of it. And so Pharaoh was in charge of that. And if it is ever out of disorder, people automatically look to the king. We kind of do that now. We kind of look at our president. we, We say the president is in charge of everything. So therefore, anything that's going wrong is all the fault of a president when we know there's much more going on beyond just a president. Um, we still kind of do that. It's just kind of a human thing. We're just going to kind of look at the guy on top, and it's that person's problem. And uh, so the idea is that an impious king could bring about famine and blasphemy could bring blindness to an individual. So you just accept this, and hopefully your king is good. Before I get into the, uh, the plagues directly from the Bible, I want to say that this was discovered in the mid-1800s. There's some debates on it but there's no debate on the timing of when this papyrus was written. This is called the Impur Papyrus, and it is a poem by a guy named Impur And um, what's interesting about this poem is he is chronicling like rise and fall of Egypt at his time, and he is going to say some things that look very, very, very similar to what we have in our Bible. And this is, it's it's kind of remarkable. I didn't know about this until I started researching. um, And I, I was kind of blown away. So what I'm going to do is give you some direct quotes from the papyrus. And I'm going to give you like the traditional quote from the Bible regarding that. So from the papyrus, Indeed, the river is blood, yet men drink of it. Men shrink from human beings and thirst after water. Exodus 7.20, and all the water, waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water. So you're kind of seeing the first of this mirroring. Indeed, hearts are violent. Pestilence is throughout the land. Blood is everywhere, and death is not lacking. Exodus 9.15, that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Indeed, all the animals, their hearts weep. Cattles moan because of the state of the land. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horse, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There will be a very grievous moraine, and all the cattle of Egypt died. From the papyrus, Behold, the fire has gone up on high, and its burning goes forth against the enemies of the land. Indeed, gates, columns, walls are burnt up. Exodus 9, And the fire ran along the ground, so there was a hall there was and there was hail, and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous. Indeed everywhere barley has perished from the papyrus, and the flax and the barley was smitten. The land is without light. And then from the Bible, and there was a thick darkness in the land of Egypt three days. Indeed men are few, and he who places his brother in the ground everywhere, there was not a house where there was not one dead. You kind of get the point. Like it just this papyrus. And Exodus is kind of it's, it's kind of matching. People debate whether this is just fantasy, a fantasy work that this poet made up. And so that's what the big debate is. As Bible people, we look at it, and we're like, "This sounds an awful lot like Exodus." Um, to go on, indeed, every dead person is as is a well-born man. Indeed, the children of princes are d- dashed against the wall. Then it gives the verse about the firstborn being dead. Even the prince of Egypt was killed with that, mimicking the prince words. Laughter has perished. There's just groaning. Uh, loud wailing was heard through the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. Indeed, poor men have become owners of wealth. And he who could not make sandals for himself is now a possessor of riches. When the children of Israel leave, they leave with everything even going down to, indeed, gold and lapis lazuli, silver and turquoise, carnelian and amethyst, ibit stone are strung on the necks of maidservants, and every woman borrowed of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And so it just, it, there seems to be a historical reference point. And so this is where people who are into the, the second idea of how the plagues work would say this is mythic history. This is mytho-history. Um. I think it's just a guy writing down probably what he experienced. Uh, we don't know exactly. They dated the papyrus um, somewhere between 1100 and 1600. And uh, depending on what date you take for the exodus, it kind of falls within that. Um, all right, now moving on to the stuff. Exodus 7, and then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning and as he is going out to the water, stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, taking in your hand, the staff that was turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded, and in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died died, and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So the idea there is, um, with the magicians, they could duplicate it, but the magicians could not reverse it. So, again, kind of stumped. They could not reverse what they needed to reverse. They could not come out ahead. Um, So this is just an attack on the Nile. The Nile is the lifeblood of Egypt. So the Nile, the god of the Nile, was Hopi. And uh, Hopi was the god of the annual flooding of the Nile in ancient Egyptian religion. Hopi was greatly celebrated among the Egyptians. It's typically depicted as an androgynous figure with a prominent belly, large drooping breast, wearing a loincloth and a ceremonial false beard. Depicting in hieroglyphics as an intersex person, the god who keeps Egypt alive. So this was one to go right for. Hoppy was in charge of the Nile, and uh, first thing they did was Yahweh went after Hoppy, and so the Nile is no longer in the control, and uh, that disrupts the entire way of life. So I think that was a hit. It was a hit on Hoppy um, again. We are not accustomed to Egyptian thought. We don't live there. So we don't rely on all these characters to do what we need them to do for our life to go on. And uh, for us, we just kind of see it, and are like, yeah, well, the Nile was everything, and he takes out the Nile. There's the spiritual being intersection here, too. So what a strange figure, too, like some bearded, large-breasted, intersex god. It's just strange. There you go. Um, There's the first hit. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you and your people, and all over your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts, and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Again, the magicians could not reverse it. They could only try to duplicate what Yahweh was doing. Um, Hope they like frogs. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am able to plead for you and your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow... And Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God, Yahweh, whenever you see the Lord, capital letters. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs, and as he had agreed with, as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the words of Moses, and the frogs died out in the houses and in the courtyards and in the field. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. And when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would would not listen to them as the Lord had said. All right, so frogs. Here's your frog god. Um, Heket is the Egyptian goddess of fertility identified with Hathor, represented in the form of a frog. To the Egyptians, the frog was an ancient symbol of fertility related to the annual flooding of the Nile. Hecate was originally the female counterpart of Num, who formed the bodies of new children on his potter's wheel. And then Hecate would breathe life into the bodies. So already there, there's that that twist on the beginning. Yahweh created humans from the dust, and Yahweh breathed life into them. Whereas in the Egyptians, uh, religion Noom crafted the humans, and then Hecate would breathe life into the humans. Um, It has been proposed that her name is actually the origin of the name of Hecate, the Greek goddess of witchcraft, goddess who assisted with childbirth. The midwives in, in Exodus would also have been wearing Hecate amulets. So when those midwives go in early Exodus, those midwives are going out to kill all of the Egyptian sons, throw them into the Nile, they're all wearing their Hecate amulets, because that was part of the whole childbirth, uh, maidservant, what's the word I'm looking for, midwife thing. They'd have their Heket garb. And so I think this is also in the mind of of Yahweh when he's doing this. Heket had the the additional responsibility to control the multiplication of frogs in ancient Egypt um, by protecting them from the frog-eating crocodiles. And so her job is to control all the frogs, and obviously that's not working. And so I think Yahweh's also making some points here as far as the river turning red with blood, um, the, blood of the, the blood of the Hebrew boys in the Nile. I think there's that symbolism going on. And then here he's also taking out, going after the goddess who did the, uh, the delivering of babies, the ones who were involved with throwing those babies into the Nile, while also saying you don't have the power to control those frogs. I control it all. And uh, there you go. I think that was number two on the hit list. Exodus eight. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of the earth, or of Egypt. And the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. And so there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So there's some different ideas on this third sign. The third plague was the word kinim in Hebrew, and it's a term that is not clear in meeting because it only, it only happens like once or twice and people aren't really sure what it means. Um, a lot of people think that it's referring to gnats. Other suggestions are that the kinem were lice or maggots. Um, because they're not, they're going to distinguish this from the next one, which is flying insect, insects, I lean more towards lice. Um, and remember, we talked about the lector priest last week. Elector priests would shave their entire bodies every two days um, to prevent insect infestations that would make them unclean for uh, temple ritual stuff. So when they would go, they couldn't have any of that stuff going on. Couldn't be sick. You couldn't have lice. You couldn't have any kind of infestation. You would be unclean. You're not allowed to go into the temple to, uh, like, watch over the ceremonies and do what you needed to do. Um, so if it was lice, which makes sense to me talking about men and animals, if it was lice that it shuts down the temples to the gods. There's no more worship in the temples to any of the gods in all of Egypt. And uh you'd take notice of that. So I think he's he's just shutting it down. And I don't know if there's necessarily a god that's associated with it. We'll talk we'll talk after the fourth sign about that. Um, Exodus 8 Then the Lord said to Moses rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him thus says the Lord let my people go that they may serve me or else if you do not let my people go behold I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there. And you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. And there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. And Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so. For the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away plead for me then moses said behold i am going out from you and i will plead with the lord that the swarms of flies may depart from pharaoh from his servants and from his people tomorrow only let not pharaoh cheat us again by letting the people cheat us by not letting us let the people go to sacrifice to the lord so moses went out from pharaoh and prayed to the lord and the lord did as moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from pharaoh from his servants and from his people not one remained but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. This is where I think the naturalistic explanation kind of falls short because I don't know how you would naturalistically explain the fact that the Hebrews weren't having fly issues and the rest of Egypt was having fly issues. So that's, that's an issue for me. Uh, the fourth plague came in the form of Erab, which is commonly understood to be stinging fly. So when we take the Hebrew word there for the swarming fly, you get stinging fly, so we would call them a biting fly now because we know they're biting, but it could have also, if it was actually stinging, it could have just been super thick mosquitoes. I don't know. But anyway, it's not just that the flies are bothering them. They are biting, they are stinging. That's part of the word, which makes more sense. I mean, flies are annoying, but to the point where you're willing to try to make a deal with Moses just because flies are everywhere. Um, one of the scholars, kirad proposes Kepri, which is a god of Egypt, as the target on this sign. I'm kind of leading to think that's kind of a stretch. It doesn't make sense like the other ones do, but I'll entertain it here. Kepri is a scarab-faced god in ancient Egyptian religion who represents the rising or the morning sun. By extension, he can represent creation and the renewal of life. Often, Kepri and the other solar deity, Atum, were seen as aspects of Ra, Kepri was the morning sun, Ra was the midday sun, and Atum was the sun of the evening. As a deity, Kepri's four main functions were creator, protector, sun god, and god of resurrection. Um, It may have been this, but he's represented as, I mean, that, like just a beetle face, which is strange because they took the faces of the other animals on the other gods, but this one's just got like the whole body. Um, I think... The stuff that Kepri is supposed to do doesn't really fit with the plagues, so I'm not a giant fan of saying this is it, but there are scholars that suggest this. Um, his face is either the, like the like a flying scarab. Sometimes it's depicted with wings, so that's why Kyrid's like maybe it's talking about that, but oftentimes it's just a regular dung beetle um, scarab. So I'm, I'm not there. I think they were stinging insects, stinging flies. I think the purpose is that it shuts down the temples. And then any diseases or anything that those bring will keep the temples shut down. So there's no more worship of any, any other gods going on in Egypt at this time. Um, Exodus 9. And the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing at all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing, and all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. So now Pharaoh is seeing this. The magicians are already out. Magicians stepped out after three. So now this is literally just Pharaoh versus them. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. All right, so sacred cows in Egypt. There were a lot of sacred cows in Egypt at the time. Um, So we're going to talk about the bull worship which is happening in other places in the ancient Near East. But um, there are some famous bulls that were worshipped in Egypt. This is also, we're going to take this into the desert with us when we get to the Ten Commandments and the Mount Sinai incident. The the Israelites know this because the Israelites are already crafting their own bull. and um, So Plague 5 was a pestilence on the domesticated animals of Egypt. Bull cults, of course, are known to have flourished throughout the land in antiquity. Ancient Egyptians viewed the bull as a fertility figure, the great inseminator imbued with the potency and vitality of life. Uh, Apis was the first important of the Egyptian sacred bulls. Other bull cults included uh, Bukas, sacred bull of Hermantus, and Manuus, who was located in Heliopolis. In addition, bulls were understood as embodiments of the great Egyptian gods Ptah and Ra. Uh, numerous important female deities were pictured as livestock animals. Isis, queen of the gods, had the bull horns, um, And Hathor was given a bovine head for her task of protecting the king. And so I think this is more having to do with Hathor. Um, she was a major goddess in ancient Egyptian religion who played a wide variety of roles. As a sky deity, she was the mother or consort of the sky god Horus and the sun god Ra, both of whom were connected with kingship. So, remember, Pharaoh is an embodiment of Ra and Horus. Um, And so she's associated directly with Pharaoh, too. She was one of several goddesses who acted as the eye of Ra, Ra's feminine counterpart, and in this form, she had a vengeful aspect that protected him from his enemies. Her beneficent side represented music, dance, joy, love, sexuality, and maternal care, And she acted as the consort of several male deities and the mother of their sons. And so it's just kind of gearing up. You're getting a little closer to the head gods with Hathor. Um, Again, I I think that's probably what this is going for. Um, The livestock, that was a major economy point at that point. Your Nile is messed up. Um, Probably recovering at this point. But then now you're messing with livestock, and it is the vitality of Egypt. So I, just to, to close up today, we're just going to do the first five. Um, there, I think there's just basic lessons that are going through in addition to taking out certain spiritual beings, the idea that you have victory over them. Um, Yahweh is powerful above all spiritual beings. He is taking control and saying, all this I did. I am the creator of the Nile. I am the one who made the system operate the way that the system operates. It's not some big, gutted, saggy, boobed God thing. It's me, Yahweh. I did it. And I think that's part of that. Yahweh is the real source of abundance in life. Um, Yahweh is in control of fertility and childbirth. Pharaoh killed Yahweh's babies and uh, took it as a personal note. Yahweh stops worship of other spiritual beings with signs three and four. Um, That's going to be, I mean, those are your first two commandments when they get out in the desert, when he's trying to communicate that to the Hebrews. And uh, Yahweh is the source of strength and vitality, not these bull gods. Um, So at this point, you've lived through it. What are you thinking if you're a Hebrew? What are you thinking if you're an Egyptian? And... uh, That's just kind of interesting to think about. You're not going to view this any other way than as a battle between the God of the Hebrews and the gods of the Egyptians. And at this point, you're going to be thinking kind of harshly about who? If you're a Hebrew, who are you thinking harshly about? Pharaoh? Pharaoh? If you're an Egyptian, you're also going to, and that's the flip side here, is you're also going to start feeling very harsh towards Pharaoh because Pharaoh is supposed to do what? Establish mat. Pharaoh is in control. This must mean that Pharaoh is a bad Pharaoh if this is happening. Pharaoh is a bad Pharaoh. Maybe there's something to this Yahweh figure. And I, I think, as you'll see when we get into the further myths or further plagues in this whole long story, you're going to see people are going to come to start listening. When Moses says something, they do, they do what Moses says. Some of them. Some of them don't. Um, but things are being telegraphed. People know. And especially when we get up to the 10th, the, the last sign and wonder, it's important to realize that Yahweh had been giving them examples in and out because that last one is going to seem very harsh. Um, so that's kind of what we're we're heading to, and uh, you'll get the the last sign in wonder, and you'll start getting into some more of the origins of Passover. So, all right, I'm going to conclude it there today. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're very thankful. Yahweh, you are the only one for us. You are the name above all names, and we will have no others beside you. And Jesus, the same thing that was going on here back in Exodus, is the same thing you did when you resurrected. When you spent those days in the grave and when you resurrected, and when you ascended, Lord, you put them to open shame, all of the principalities, all of the powers. This is the way of Yahweh. And Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you that you invited us in, that we as Christians don't have to live under their rule. We don't have to live under their authority. And so, Lord, we thank you for your protection. We thank you for the life that you give. We thank you that we're not stuck in systems and have to believe in systems. Holy Spirit, just be with us throughout the week. Teach us to see things in a multi-layered way. Help us to see those things and then help us to love the people. Help us come up with multi-layered solutions to things. We love you, Jesus. I just ask that you'd be with us throughout the week. In your name, we pray. Amen.